Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand firm. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith, with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, and take up the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit. That's our focus today. Take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Our focus this morning is this sword of the Spirit. It's the only weapon in the armor of God that we're given in our battle against evil that is offensive. The rest are all defensive. We, we stand ready or stand firm, as Paul says it, with the breastplate of righteousness, with the belt of truth on, which is also the Word of God. The righteousness of Christ covers our, our whole front. Um, and then we have the helmet of salvation, which we talked about last week, which protects our thinking so that we have right thinking about who God is and about who we are and about what He's done for us in His gospel, in His death and His resurrection for us. But now we come to this offensive weapon. The sword of the Spirit. And Paul gives us a little bit of a clue as to what exactly this sword is. He says, he defines it for us. He says, it's the Word of God. So let's dive into that this morning. And I want us to, if there's something that you can take away this morning, I'm hoping that it is the idea that the forces of evil, these powers and principalities of this present darkness and of the devil and of the demons in this world, their goal, their ultimate goal is to break your trust in God. That is the premise of what we're going to talk about today. The premise is that you must have trust in God to stay alive. Again, this struggle, this battle, this wrestling match that we're in is life and death. And so to stay alive, we must attack the evil one and attack the forces of darkness with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God, because those forces are going to consistently and constantly try to break our relationship with God Himself. I thought about it this week, the context of this. There was a softball that was thrown my way when I was looking through my Apple News feed, and there was the story that we've all been hearing over the last several months about this guy named Jeffrey Epstein. Not a good dude, apparently. But the, the latest, if you saw the development in your news feed, the latest is that he took his own life. Uh, in jail, he was already arrested, and he, he took his own life. And he was being charged, as you might know, with all these um, sexual misconduct charges about uh, doing horrible things to people. Um, and he had a lot of money, so obviously that was a big temptation in his life. But it was a reminder to me of the end goal. I mean, you can just probably imagine the temptations that were in the life of Jeffrey Epstein, right? I mean, obviously there were temptations to illicit sexual activity, obviously. There were temptations to greed, to stockpiling money and spending it on himself, not on others. I mean, these are just right there in your face. And then, right, the end goal, not being just greed, the end goal not being just hurting other people, 
The end goal being, for evil, what happened this weekend. That he would destroy himself. It is. I don't know if you believe the Bible yet on this point. This struggle against Satan and against evil is life and death. The goal is to take you out. And we watch, all of us watch, that was just one example, but we watch this happen, maybe even in people's lives that we love, where temptation comes in, draws them away from God, and then there is a destruction of life. It's, it's sad, it's disheartening, but, but thankfully, we have weapons. We have weapons to fight this evil. And this morning we get to look at this incredible weapon of the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Let's start our, our journey into this particular weapon, the sword of the Spirit, with Genesis. Let's go back to the beginning. Because that's really where it all begins. And that's what our catechism question dealt with this morning. But when Adam and Eve were first placed in the garden, there was a connection between them and God. There was a deep, loving relationship that was established from the get-go. Right? And the first thing that the tempter does, that's what the Bible calls Satan. He took the form of the serpent, if you remember, in chapter 3 of Genesis. And what's the first thing that he does when he starts talking with Eve? He calls into question God's relationship with her. That's the first thing he does. He says, which trees can you eat of in this garden? And she's like, well, hey, it's really great. We can eat of any of the trees in the garden. It's awesome. Except for this one right over here. God said, don't eat this one. And he's like, did God really say that? Why? I mean, and this is what's behind his words of, of Satan. If God really loved you, if God really cared about you, wouldn't he let you eat from that one too? And so her thinking gets going along those lines. And the same thing happens for Adam. His thinking gets going along those lines. The temptation to be drawn away from God and to fulfill the immediate goodness of their hearts. To satiate themselves in a, in a, in a way that disregards the obedience to God. Right. So they take the fruit and they eat it. Because it looked good. It looked like it was going to be good tasting and it looked like it could help them out. And they were already, Satan had challenged, catch this, their relationship with God. I'm, this is still happening today, y'all. This is what evil does in our life. It's what Satan does in our life. Is this, this subtle questioning. Does God really love you? I mean, if he did, if, if God really cared about you, wouldn't he have allowed XYZ? Or wouldn't God have not allowed XYZ to occur in your life? This temptation is so palpable and so real for all of us that we have got to hear what it, Paul is teaching about this sword of the Spirit, this, the way to attack back at Satan when he does this tempting. Now, let me, let me just go a little bit further, just for a moment, if you'll humor me. I want to also take a peek at chapter 4 of Genesis. So that was chapter 3. Satan comes to Adam and Eve and he tempts them away from God. He tempts them to place their trust in their own ability to provide for themselves. That's what he tempts them to do. It's called idolatry and it's basically the story of the rest of Scripture. <laughs> chapter 4 
of Genesis, we see it beginning to play out in human relationships. Chapter 4 of Genesis is this story of these two brothers named Cain and Abel. You may have read about them before. It's there, I mean, it's something that's even popular in our culture at large. But Cain and Abel are some of the first people after the fall, after sin has entered the world, and we get to see what it's going to be like to relate with God and to one another. And so here's how it plays out. They still have a connection with God. Both of them do. Abel, to show his love for God, his connection with God, brings some of the first fruits of his flock. He was a shepherd. So he has sheep that he takes care of, and he brings some of those sheep, to, uh, the first fruits of those, the best of the sheep. And he says, God, I offer these to you because I love you. It's what you do, right? For people you love, you give them things, you give them of yourself. It's just how love works. Well, then his brother Cain also comes and offers God some of his fruit. Now, he was a farmer, and he sort of tended the vegetables and the fruits in the land. And he gives him, the Bible says, he, he gives God a portion of his stuff. Basically, not the best. He gives him the junk, <laughs> the leftovers from his picking of his garden. He's like, here, God, take some of this, which essentially sends the message. Catch this. I'm not so sure I can trust you, God. I think, in my heart of hearts, I think I need to maintain the real control of my life. I think I need to make sure that I'm the one looking out for number one. Because I just, God, I'm not so sure about you. I'm not so sure you're going to come through for me. And you can already see this crumbling of the trust between God and human beings, this crumbling of the love between God and human beings occurring in chapter 4 of Genesis. Now, how does this play out in the real world? Well, the Bible tells us. So it says God, it says God gazed upon the, it says he gazed upon the offering that Abel had brought, which means he delighted in it. He was like, it's super obvious that Abel loves me. And this is really cool. And then Cain, it says, he did not look, he did not gaze upon the offering of Cain, which means he was like disappointed that it was obvious that this relationship was falling apart. It was breaking apart. And he's very gentle with Cain. God, God is. He's like, look, Cain, I want you to be careful. I can sense that your heart is drifting from me. And you better watch out. This is the exact wording that God uses with him. He says, sin is crouching at your door. The evil one is ready to pounce. And then we read in that same chapter that evil gets the better of him. Evil pounces on him. He doesn't have the sword to fight back. Um, He does not use the very words of God with Satan. And he ends up stabbing his brother instead of the evil one that was crouching at his door. He kills his brother. Murder. The first murder in the Bible. And it happens literally right on the heels of chapter 3 of Genesis. And so what we're seeing is, we're seeing in chapter 4, that as the relationship with God begins to disintegrate, as the trust begins to fade between humanity and God, all of the other evils of life enter in. The first one in that, in that particular passage being murder. And y'all, I'll be honest. The reason that God told him sin is going to be crouching at your door 
is because God knew that this was going to be one of Satan's most potent and powerful weapons against the human heart. The one that we are still fighting tooth and nail this very day. This this desire by Satan to convince you that God is not to be trusted. That God is not the one ultimately who would take care of you. That there is something else that's better than God that you need to give into temptation because ultimately God is not going to provide for the, the difficult areas of your life. Again, Evil wants to destroy our trust and therefore our love for God. Now, let's zoom to the New Testament. Those are examples we have of this principle from the Old Testament. But let's zoom to the New Testament where we can see someone who's actually beginning to fight the devil with the sword of the Spirit. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. We have this very potent example very early on in the New Testament where Jesus has an encounter with Satan. And what he's going to do for us is not only is he going to buy us freedom through his defeat of Satan in that encounter, he's also going to give us an example of what it needs to be like in our life to fight Satan, to fight the forces of evil with the sword of the Spirit, with the Word of God. Okay, let's read about it. It's in chapter 4. You can turn there if you want. It's in chapter 4 of Matthew. And um, I think it's verse 4 is what we're going to start with today. It says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it is also written, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their splendor. And the devil said, All this I will give to you, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. So here we see the sort of pentultimate, the the supreme example of someone being attacked by the tempter. The tempter is, is trying to lure away even Jesus Christ from his relationship with God. Do you notice how early on Satan challenges his relationship with the Father? He says, if, not because. He says, if you are the Son of God. He's saying, can you really trust the Father? You've been living for all of eternity in heaven with him. We'll we'll make that beside the point. (laughs) But can't, can't, Jesus, you've been sent on this mission of death. Do you really want to trust the Father? He says, take a shortcut. That's what Satan says to him. Use your power. You have incredible power, Jesus. Turn this stone to bread. Short circuit 
take a shortcut and be done with God the Father. You've got enough power in and of yourself. And Jesus, of course, as we know from this passage, he pulls out the sword of the Spirit and he stabs right at Satan. What does he say to him here? He says, It is written, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus is saying, I stand on something that is more firm than a piece of bread, even though I'm super, super, super hungry. I stand on the word of God, and the word of God is my life. Yes, I'm going to feel way better if I eat this bread. I mean, I guarantee there were loads of gluten in it. He was going to be refreshed. I mean, I bet he could have turned it into King's Hawaiian. Had the sugar, his, he, he would have immediately been ready to take on the world as that food coursed through his veins. But he said, that is not my life. My life, my true life, my zoe, not my bios, not, not this body that I'm currently in for this short amount of time, but my zoe, my life with God is dependent upon his word and I will stand on that rock. And that is where I will live my life on that rock. And he says, I trust the Father. Then, then, of course, Satan comes to him and he says, okay, get really high up on the temple. He takes him to the top uh, the, the, where he can, you know, it's probably at least several stories down where he would fall and he would die. And he says, okay, now jump off. He says, it, he challenges again, if you are the son of God, throw yourself down. He's like, why don't you see if you can prove that God loves you? Test him. Like, like, you can't really know that God is for you, that God's going to take care of you until you do something stupid. So go for it, right? I mean, come on. We've all had this thought before, haven't we? Like, let's just see what God does. I'm going to go ahead and do it. I'm going to go ahead and sin. I'm going to go ahead and fall into whatever this temptation is that currently has me in its grip, and I'm going to see what God will do, right? But Jesus, again, he comes back with the word of God, and he says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. Why? Because, again, not putting the Lord to the test is a proof that, you tr- that Jesus trusts him, that Jesus loves him as is before he even has to face Satan. And then finally, this one's a little more obvious. Satan takes him up to a high mountain. He says, I'll give you the whole world if you'll bow down to me. He appeals to his pride. This happens to all of us, doesn't it? Appealing to our pride. You, I, if you just... Satan says to us, all of us, y'all, if you will just decide to trust yourself, if you'll just decide that your decision-making is best, that your ability to control your emotions through giving in to whatever sin that you know that you like to give in to, if you will just give yourself to me, then I will make your life fine. I'll give you the desires of your heart. Now, they may be sinful desires, but this is Satan's ultimate temptation. It's the ultimate temptation to idolatry, to abandon God and trust in something else, usually ourself, but it could be some, some other person or some other being, right? And so Jesus, of course, comes with the sword of the Spirit, and he says to him, No, no, away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There's two things that I think we're supposed to take away from this particular passage. One, this is really, 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 really important. Jesus has fought the battle for you. You ever thought about that? This battle, this ultimate battle, 
with temptation by the devil to yank us away from God has already been won by Jesus Christ. He has already purchased us, purchased us and kept us in the love of God. When we're weak, when we fail, we turn again and again to Christ and say, no, you are the one who has defeated the temptation for me. But also, that's the first, that's the gospel part, but also there is a part of just simple practical application for us. How do we do this in our life? I don't know what your particular temptation is. What's the thing that you find that consistently lures you away from trust in God? Because here's how it works out for most of us, how it plays out in real life. I am tired, stressed, worried, angry, in conflict with someone, unhappy, fearful, you name the emotion, right? And I need to fix it. And I need, I need God to fix it or I need something to fix it. And so I'm like, I'm going to turn to something besides God to fix this. And generally it's something that God has said, don't do that, right? Because it's going to give us the rush or it's going to give us the good feelings that we just think we need for that particular moment to just get us through one more time or one more day. We can use the word of God. I, 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 this will be our main conclusion today. And I want to talk, I want to give some examples for us, and I hope these are helpful for you. They were helpful for me as I studied them this week, of how do we tackle the tempter with the Word of God as a practical application for us. Okay, let's take, let's take them one by one here, very quickly. And then we'll end, nice, we'll end with this. Yeah, I need to go home and take a nap. First, are you stressed? Are you stressed? That one gets me a lot. Um, Stress usually enters my life. It could be different for you, but it's when you think that you have to perform a certain way for other people. You've got to put on a show, whether it's at work, at home, uh, you know, on the street, at church, perhaps. And so stress enters in because you're afraid that your show is going to fail, which it almost always does. Your show is going to fail and people are going to judge you and or leave you. Right? That's, the, that's the fear that's attached to the stress about performance. Let's listen to the Word of God and how, how He might speak into this. This is from Psalm chapter 34, verses 17 and 18. The righteous cry out in their stress, and the Lord hears them, and He delivers them from all their troubles. The Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. When we feel the stress of this life, the Word of God comes in and it's an antidote to what we are feeling. The Word of God is the sword that we stab into the gut of the evil one. Let's look at a couple other ones. Are you worried? It's like, I feel like we have a song that talks about that. Are you worried, heavy laden? Isn't that one of the songs we sing? Worry, worry is very much about the fear that God's just simply not going to provide for me in the future. He's not going to protect me in the future. That somehow my future is in jeopardy. Because bad things have happened in the past, and probably bad things are going to happen to me in the future. And Jesus says, look, he answers it with the word of God. Jesus says, look at the birds. We actually have one, as I mentioned last week, in our front mailbox who has been taking care of her four little ones. They're born now. The eggs hatched. Super cute. How many? You think there's 300? I think there's four in there. 
Hunter says three. Fair enough. But just watching how God provides for those little birds, for this bird that's in our mailbox, even how he gave the bird to our house so that we could tell the postman to not put, or the post lady to not put letters in there and block her from getting to her chicks. What a provision from God, right? He's watching out for the birds. He's watching out for the flowers. He cares about the flowers. How much more does he care about you? Does your heavenly father care about you? And he will, he will, says Jesus, provide for you. Your future is secure in his love. And another one. Um, are you angry? That one gets me, right? Anger is attached to the idea that I either did not get my way in the past or that something is going to be taken away from me that I currently have. And there's just this anger that builds within our heart that somehow in this life we were promised a certain series of events. And apparently God is not going to either not going to give it to us or hasn't yet given it to us. And so I'm mad. And ultimately, y'all, if you think about it, yeah, we take it out on our, on our kids. We take it out on our friends. We take it out on our spouse. Yes. But ultimately, who are we really angry with? God. If we believe that God is somehow in control of this world and of the, our lives, then that's ultimately where our anger resides, with him. Now, it, now, like Cain and Abel, it may play out with us just destroying the people around us. Okay, fair enough. But here's, here's what Paul says about this. We read this in Ephesians chapter 4. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. As God in Christ forgave you. He doesn't lay it upon the fact that you've just got to pull yourself up by your bootstraps. You've just got to be a little bit better of a person. He says, you have been forgiven the ultimate debt. And now it is a privilege and a joy for you to forgive all the people who will consistently harm you the rest of your life and have already harmed you. The Word of God, the gut-piercing sword into the heart of darkness. Okay, just two more. Are you in conflict with someone? Are you in conflict with someone? I, I occasionally get in conflict with someone. I know it's hard to believe. But here's what James says from the Word of God about that. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. Again, Cain and Abel. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the scripture says, he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? But, but, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. This is the key phrase, y'all. It says, verse 7 says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. 
Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. This is the Word of God. It's given to us to stab the darkness that is crouching at the door right outside. That, that, that would have us, that would destroy the trust that we have in our Heavenly Father and in the God of the universe. Okay, like I said, just one more here. Um, are you fearful? I, I, get, I get fearful a lot. Here's an admission. Here's one I didn't have planned. One of the things that I struggle with, and um, Chrissy doesn't have this, so it's nice for her. I have hypochondria. You ever, you ever heard about that, hypochondria? It's this idea that you, that, that every little ache and pain in your body is somehow like cancer or some horrible disease that you're never going to get rid of. And this happens to me regularly. In fact, I went to the doctor this week. Spoiler alert. (laughs) Because my throat was hurting. And I was like, I bet you I have throat cancer. I literally had that thought. Um, Which is just ridiculous. And it's just Satan attacking me. I mean, God, he's not looking to smite me and be like, well, you know what? You use your voice a lot. It's time for throat cancer. <laughs> but I'll have those thoughts. They'll, they'll run through my head. Like, that's probably the punishment I actually do deserve. Because I've forgotten the gospel. I've forgotten what Jesus has done for me and continues to do for me. Um, you, that may not be your fear, but I, you've probably got one. A fear that you're, you're, that, of abandonment. A fear of, of death. A fear of being fired. From your job. I don't know what it is. I mean, we all live with them on a regular basis, y'all. Um, but here's Romans 8 on this. Just, just hear the word of God. Don't hear my words. Verse 26 of chapter 8 of Romans. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. I know, y'all, that it is difficult to keep the vision. To keep the vision that God has called us to something. That God is calling us to something. This is what Jesus was tempted to abandon. He had a mission to die. Not just die, suffer horrifically before that death. And so of course Satan's tempting him and saying, you really think God wants this for you? And yet his mission was to save everyone. To save us. Sometimes this vision God has given us, this calling He's given us, seems impossible. That, that it is just not going to be possible to make it another day and cling to trust in God.
But my prayer is that you would seek the Spirit. That's how Paul concludes this passage. And it is what God uses. I'm ending with this. This The Spirit is what God uses to make the Word effective. I don't know when you read the Bible in the morning before you go to work or at night when you're going to bed. I don't, I don't know how it hits you. Maybe it's just like some, some boring words on a page that you just turn to and it's like whatever. But the reality is that the Spirit of God is what makes it come alive. And when it's alive, it cuts. It not only cuts these temptations of Satan to pull us away from God, but it cuts our own hearts. It cuts through bone and marrow. And it tests what our true trust is in. My prayer for this church, my prayer for myself and for y'all, is that the Spirit would do exactly that. The Spirit would, would make that sword, the Word of God, come alive, come burning. Nerd alert. I like video games. One of the video games I've been playing recently is called Dragon's Dogma. Doesn't that sound nerdy? It's super nerdy. Um... Dark Arisen. That's the like little side phrase to it. But it gave me a great illustration about the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so you have a sidekick. Because most RPGs that are, in my opinion, good, you have some sort of sidekick that comes with you on your journey. Because you don't want to do it alone. So you have more than one in this game. And my favorite sidekick by far uh, is this guy who makes my sword turn to flames. Or like, come on fire. And every time I get into a battle, I'll start chopping at, you know, some little dogs or wolves or something like that. Or, you know, a bad guy that gets in my way. Because I have a mission. And it, not much happens. Like, I'm about to die. And then, all of a sudden, you see my dude, my like sidekick guy. And he like takes his staff and he plants it in the ground and it starts to flame red and I'm like yes here it comes and it's like you know and my sword glows red and flames start popping off of it and then I'm just like dice 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 cut through all the the bad guys it's great I love it but that honestly that is kind of like what the Bible's saying here (laughs) that's crazy it is I mean the word, I don't know if you've had this happen, but it can fall flat and feel like it's not having any impact. Um, but what Paul encourages us in this passage to do is to pray. Pray hard, pray long, pray fast, pray constantly that the Spirit would make it come alive. Because when it's alive, it is going to slice and dice these lies of Satan, these temptations of Satan. And it's going to slice and dice our own hearts. And the gospel is going to glow from within. And y'all, when the gospel glows from within, our love for God is contagious and our love for other people is abounding. May the Spirit bring alive His Word even today. Let's pray. Lord God, um, uh, take away whatever words of mine you need to take away, but I pray that Your Word would, would stick from this passage. And Lord, I pray that, I, I don't know, I can't speak for everybody in this room, Lord, but I know that reading the Bible can feel like a chore sometimes. It's like, 
something I just got to do, something I got to, I know I need to. Lord, I pray that for all of us here, every single one of us in this room today, that you would light it up, that you would flame it, that that word would come in and it would slice and dice our temptations to distrust you and to cling to our idols. I pray that you would slice and dice our own hearts, Lord, that our love for Jesus would come alive, but more importantly, that the love that Jesus has for us would come alive. We need you. We want you. And Lord, we we pledge our trust to you even here this morning. But we know that it's only because of your work within us. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.